0: Welcome to the Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt.
1: Welcome to the Change Room Podcast, a whiff of wellbeing. And what we thought we'd do to, to get things underway was give you an insight into the, the two hosts, myself, Matthew Elliott, and Anthony Minicello. So I'm going to interview you today, Minnie, so buckle Wonderful, up. Matty. I'm coming for you, bud. <laughs> I am coming for you. Let's do it. Look, in just to give a little bit of background on what the change room is, is back in uh, 2017, uh, I'd come out of coaching and I'd been doing individual mentoring for quite some time and working with different organisations in that area. I had a belief that a lot of the stuff that I'd learnt through my my coaching and through life experience and my own personal adversity could make a difference to uh, individuals' life. And... The first person I went to when I started to look for the business with Anse- was Anthony Minicello. The reason being that in 2011 I got the sack from the Penrith Panthers as head coach and I got a gig at the Roosters, the Sydney Roosters for 12 months in 2012. In that time, because of some uh, personal challenges, I had a uh, autoimmune disease uh, called PMR, polymolecular rheumatitis and um, wasn't a very pleasant thing to have and I kept it a secret as much as possible, but I was injecting myself twice a day with a, with a steroid and taking sleeping tablets and anti-inflammatories, and on the story goes. I didn't really tell anyone, but Anthony picked up when I was at the Roosters, I was in a place of discomfort. As someone with a, a background, a, a tertiary background and qualification in sports science and, and uh, what I thought a high level of understanding in nutrition, which that was proven wrong um Anthony sort of snuck up to me and said mate you don't look like you're going so well have a look at these videos and he gave me uh some videos done by a lady called Sally Fallon who's the head of the Western A Price Association Western A Price was a doctor uh, sorry a dentist in the early 1900s anyway Uh, After doing my research, I'm a bit of a science geek. I went away and looked it up, and even though what Anthony had shared with me completely, completely was in contrast to my education, the actual research, the scientific validation of what he was sharing with with me was there. Pretty well hidden, by the way, but it was there. And lo and behold, I went, okay, I'm going to have a crack at this. And six weeks after uh, going through the process of following the, the dietary recommendations that Anthony had given me or eating recommendations, I don't like to call them. Diet seems to have a lot of complexity chucked around it these days. Hmm. I was off nearly all medications. I can't say all medications because, I, I, you know, every now and then things would flare up, but 12 months later I got tested and the autoimmune disease has gone. I get tested every year for it and it's still not there. So I I think I could bring it back if I went back to my old way and my old behaviours along with some of the stress that I decided to put into my life. So that's my long-winded introduction (laughs) of why I got Anthony on board to the change room. But I thought it was important to give some perspective as to why. What I've now learnt after having thousands of people come through our programme is Anthony's stuff doesn't just work on a grey-headed 50-year-old dude. (laughs) It works on everybody so Anthony thank you for joining me as uh, the co-host on the uh, the podcast of uh, the the change room and again I'd like you to expand a little further into mm. what got you into this way of eating which at the time was a little bit out there
0: yeah that's right you know, I, I got into this way of eating in 2008 so I'll start you know back at the beginning a little bit I grew up uh, southwest of Sydney on five acres so We had room to move, always outdoors, younger brother, younger sister, played many of sports, and Italian heritage. So the whole Italian culture is grow your own at home and cook it. So mum's a pretty damn good cook, and we had our own cows, chickens, eggs, fruit trees, veggie patches, you name it, the works on on the five acres. And uh, my mum used to cook all that up. So without even knowing it, really, we grew up with a whole food nutrition good healthy fats, good quality proteins, good quality carbohydrates. So and can I ask you,
1: any at that mm, time, you, you weren't really aware of it. You were no, just a kid. No, I was just a kid just flying around eating there, what's on the plate, you know yeah, what I mean? Okay. It
0: was just the Italian heritage that we had uh, was, you know, if you've got the room, you grow it and you cook it yourself. Um, and that's what we did because we had um, five acres there and uh, grandparents up the road with another five acres. So we are always just eating and sharing food with the family And we we, we didn't know uh, that it was building a real strong foundation for us. It was just what the Italian way was. So, you know, coming through the lower grades at the Roosters at age 16, did three years in the lower grades, and then made my debut at 19, year 2000. And my rise was pretty quick from then on. I I didn't seem to get injured at all. I played so many games in a row or more games than anyone in the league in a three-, four-year period without getting any type of injury, no soft tissue injuries, no bumps. I've got bumps and bruises, obviously, but no breaks. And I wasn't a big guy either. You know, I'd I'd come into first grade at probably 78 or 80 kilo. And, you know, the the rise was quick. I switched from one position to another and it really elevated my career to the next level. Uh, But there was... Back in the early two thousands, a drinking culture in the game, that's what everyone did. You have you play a game, you play it hard, so you drink hard.
1: So you were bulletproof on the field and off the field. Is that what you're I sharing? Thought.
0: That's what I thought, yeah. You know why? Because you know, we had well, I'm in a professional team now and we had professional nutritionists and they were actually saying to me, for my body type I'm very lean naturally, for my body type and my genetic makeup, I could basically eat what I wanted, I could drink what I wanted. Uh, hydrate on lemonade and orange juice was one of the calls. and when, when you get told that at, in your early 20s uh, and you're getting paid a f- f- you know, fair pay packet that's what I was doing. I was eating whatever I wanted. I would moved out of home obviously by then because I, I was, wasn't driving into the city uh, every day which I did for three years in the lower grades. So I was out of home, I was eating out every night I was drinking on the weekends uh, as I mentioned I got a you know, couple, couple of bumps and bruises every now and again from a game and you just ask the uh, the club for some anti-inflammatories or you know sleeping tablets muscle relaxants just to get you through so you can go out with the boys and drink because there's a whole team drinking culture back then
1: i guess in those days too because it was probably similar to the the, the year that i came through you didn't just get one sleeping tablet you got a whole prescription
0: that's the thing it was, you get packets of it so you just like oh, you know you go oh doc can i get a, a anti-inflammatory you go, Yeah, yeah, he'll just toss you the packet, you know. It wasn't it's not regulated what it was what it is now, actually. So you start to accumulate packets of these things and then, you know, you start to get dependent on these things. So, you know, poor food plus poor prescription management plus alcohol on the weekends, plus pushing my body to the absolute limit at training and Playing a game each weekend. So you, well, let's
1: be clear on this though. You're not criticising any of that. You're just no. criticising the the excess,
0: the excess use. Of yeah, them. yeah. That was my own, my own doing. Yeah. At, at going to excess of these things because some of them sometimes could make you feel more relaxed or you think you're sleeping better, but you're actually not. I get access to them, so I was abusing them myself. You know, and that, this is a massive learning curve for me. You know, I always look back and say that's that was a a good time for me to evolve and learn what I do learn now and continue to learn. So, that, you know, that, that next six years from 19 to 25, again, didn't get injured. I was lucky enough to win a grand final in that time, play in another three, uh, go on tour with the Australian team, play for New South Wales. So things were just coming easy for me. And, you know, when you get told that your genetic, genetic makeup's great you, from your grandparents and parents, and things were coming easy, why would I change what I was doing when in 2005 I had flare-ups in my lower back and the doctors and specialists were saying, oh, well, you've got to look after your lower back, you've got two bulging discs there. You know That was, wasn't a worry at all to me because I would go out on the weekend, play a great game of footy, do what I was doing, having fun, and then it all come crashing down in 2000, 2006. End of 2005, I win this prestigious award, the Golden Boot, and... I love showing this photo when I do my talks because you love it. It's just I'm so puffy. Like my eyes are closed over with these big, fat, puffy hands. Your
1: dead set looks like a swarm of bees. <laughs> it, of it,
0: it, it does. It does. It, you know, and, you know, I always look at that photo and just look at my face and go, what the hell? And I was supposed to be a professional athlete at the top of my game. The inflammation that was building beneath or within me was just out of control the body was trying to give me signs of you know some gut issues rashes and back flare-ups all the time but i was just ignoring that um my whole thinking back then was i'm I'm sweet mate sweet just trick the mind i'll I'll be i'm fine
1: i found that really interesting anthony when you do share that it wasn't just your back you were talking about you had ulcers you were having a whole lot of different allergies to things Mm. and your skin was flaring up that's so
0: interesting Uh, yeah so i had ulcers developing i just had skin rashes just come out of nowhere. Uh, they thought I had food allergies. Allergies. I was wanting to get tested for this food, that food, and then I was on antihistamines daily as well. And 2006, I played the first six games and I thought I had hamstring pain, so I just ignored it, kept playing. Uh, but by the time round six come around, that sort of sharp digging pain, which was nerve pain, uh, was increasing ever so slightly when I was at home, relaxing, trying to recover. But when I'd warm up, that would fade away. So once I'd warmed up, I'm like, yep, I'm good to go. Uh, i get selected to play in the Australian team for that Anzac Day test but got ruled out of that game because I couldn't even bend down and touch my toes. I'd bend down and touch my knees before. Yeah,
1: are you supposed to go further
0: than that? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, dear. That's what I thought. Okay. I'm sweet. I'm good. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was bending down and touching my knees before that pain would dig in, This so sort of knife jamming you in your right glute all the way down to your leg, pins and needles in your feet, he ruled me out and sent me to a specialist, got an MRI. I had a ruptured disc in my L5S1 without even knowing it. So where's that
1: L5S1? That's your
0: your lowest disc in your lower back, just before the tailbone. It's your first, first disc down there, so your lowest disc. That was ruptured, and it was just permanently hitting my sciatic nerve, and that's the pain I was experiencing. Uh, they said, look, you need to get an operation, so... I thought, you know, what, well, I've played more games than anyone in the league. Let's take a year off, have a break, and come back bigger and better, although it was probably one of the first back operations in the league at the time, so I was in uncharted territory. Uh, but I, my mindset was like, yep, let's get it done and uh, have a rest, Be, bigger and better in 2007. Come back, I'd get the operation. That, that pain immediately um, subsided, and I thought, wow, that's great. I started, I was running within six weeks. I didn't think too, too much of it. Uh, again, I was doing; hadn't changed anything in my lifestyle. Still, prescription medications and poor sleep, poor diet, you know, alcohol on the weekends. I played the first ten games of the 2007 season, and I'm doing two anti-inflammatories in the morning, two at night because you know I, I, it was an incision at that time. It wasn't keyhole in the in the lower back operations back then, so I had I had pain which I was getting told was. Just scar tissue because of the incision in the in the big muscle in the back, and you know the muscles have got to repair still. So I was do, I was doing two anti inflammatories in the morning, two at night every day, which I thought they were helping me, which weren't in the long run. Uh, so first ten games, get selected to play in the the blue squad again. Play game one in camp for game two, and I uh, it was, actually actually was three days out before the game, and we we're at Coogee, and we we're getting a team bus to go to. ANZ Stadium at Homebush and I literally just jump out of bed to throw my socks on and go down for breakfast and I just hear this slight little click and bang like my back goes into a full spasm and this time I experience nerve pain down my right leg severe nerve pain down my right leg, I can't move, I lay on the floor and I end up staying there for the next four hours. What, on the floor? On the floor, the, the team uh, at my room at the hotel and the team <laughs> bus sails off with the team and I had to pull out of that game and I managed to get myself up and go see the specialist again and MRI come back saying the disc above has done exactly the same thing.
1: So you ruptured that disc? I
0: ruptured that disc. L4, L5 disc has done the same thing and he asked me the question, do you want to come back and play a contact sport like rugby league? I said, yeah, I'm 27.
1: I remember that time because I was obviously coaching against you and I remember that time that... Even the media was saying that you're done. Yeah. You're done and dusted. Anthony Mircello has to retire because of back injuries.
0: Yeah, yeah. so obviously media scrutiny uh, over the, the game and uh, myself was saying, yeah, look, that, you've had a great career, you know, just re- you might have to retire. But that wasn't in my thinking as yet. I was 27, I was, you know, 2005, I was the best player in the world and injury, injury, I thought, no way, I'll, I'll get this operation again and, and just take things a lot slower and prepare my body in a better way so I get the operation and I come out of that operation I still had from that second operation still had a slight impingement in my right glute slight burning nerve pain which you know the first operation had completely subsided this one's still still there and the surgeon said look it's just a bit of inflammation around the operation it will slowly um, calm down and I think for the next year and a half every single night I'd these explosions of pins and needles in my right hip. And some nights I could actually scratch it and, and scratch the itch and just oh, I was there for like five minutes just scratching my right hip. And other nights just I couldn't scratch it. You know, it was just burning and just explosions of these pins and needles. Um, and I was just like, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I, they, they told me that it was just from the operation, the inflammation around your joints, you've got to let it heal. So I take the I take the recovery a lot slower. But, again, I still hadn't woken up to diet, prescription medication, alcohol consumption, stress, sleep, all that type of stuff.
1: So what was the change? What was the wake-up moment for you with that?
0: Well, again, in 2008. I, oh, next year now. I, this is the next year. I'm, Geez, you're a
1: slow learner, mate. I know, I
0: know. How long does this I have to go it. on for? I didn't get it. It went on for – no, well, this is the year <laughs> I woke up. This, this is the, the fourth year, right? This is the third year, but I have I have another injury in the fourth year as well. But so I, you know, I'm preparing for the 2008 season. I'm still doing the same things, anti-inflammatories daily, and all that type of stuff. And bench, I'm on the bench press, pushing out a rep, and uh, twinged my nerve and pinched. 280 pound. Uh, yeah, it was big. It was yeah, big weight. Yeah, big yeah weight. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was 20 kilo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and I pushed out a rep, and I just pinched a nerve. Didn't think anything of it. Went out and played their game, and towards the end of the game, I called for the water bottle and. and go to squeeze it and my wrist just caves in can't get the water out of the bottle i'm like what the hell try to do it again and my wrist just caves in i have no power in my left arm forearm wrist at all
1: so you can't get water out of the water bottle i
0: couldn't even get the water out of it, squeeze the water out of the bottle
1: see so that's where the sponge was great yeah anyway, anyway i digress Keep going.
0: <laughs> so you know get off the field and, uh end of the game tell the doc and he said well that's not right uh, MRI the next day uh, I'm on field the following day preparing for a short turnaround and I just remember at Allianz Stadium on the big field and the physio just comes tearing out down the down the tunnel and he's screaming my name I'm like, mini, 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 get off the field, get off the field and so I pull back from the playing group and I was like what's up? As your reports just come back you've got a significant disc bulge in your C5, C6 vertebra which is in your neck, so mid neck uh, one millimetre away from your spinal cord that's what the MRI is showing any wow. type of hit could put you in a wheelchair so look I'm taken back I'm in shock I don't, I don't know what the thing is that's you know? heavy yeah you know, a million thoughts are going through my head because I've already had two back operations in my lower back I had a smaller disc bulge in my mid-back and now I've got a huge disc bulge in my neck so I'm just thinking what the hell is going on with my spine you know and we're, yeah, we're just thinking and we're just standing there and I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a daze basically so again, we go back, visited surgeons, specialists, and you know, they MRI my whole spine this time. And they're, and they're, I remember we're just sitting there with my physio. He's looking at this image and he's looking at it, and he just doesn't. I, I feel like he just doesn't want to turn around and, and give us the verdict. And I'm like, "What's what's up, doc?" He does turn around and he said, "Look, to be honest, I th- you probably should find a new career." I was like, "Why?" <laughs> and he said, "Look, look at your disc here." They're all black. You know, In a healthy spine, they should be white. Every single one is dehydrated. Every single one is degenerating. Uh, they're all black. You know, it's just, you, A contact sport is just not for you. I said, well, how do I fix it? How do I repair it? And he said, it's pretty hard to rehydrate a disc again. I, don't, I haven't seen it being done. I said, what do you mean? And he said, it's, you've just got to manage this now here, have some more anti-inflammatories, I'll write a prescription for this and that. And that's what the conventional model is, is trying to treat the symptom, not trying to find the root cause. And I was pretty lucky at the time I met my wife, Terry, and I would come home and I'd share this information with her and she'd be like, but why? But why? Why is this happening? Why? I'm like, well, I'm trying to find out the why, but everyone's saying, no, this, you just got to manage it now. And she prompted me and urged me to go and find answers to try and find out the root cause of of what was happening
1: so where where were you searching for these answers many were they were they conventional medicine or were they you know with
0: both really anything and anything anything and anyone that will give me a sign or some positivity around how i can repair my spine and i went to countless amount of physicians trainers doctors um specialists holistic practitioners everyone and i found one guy and someone gave me his number, and I had it sitting in the car for two weeks. <laughs> I remember and I remember my wife jumping in the car, and she said, why don't you ring this guy, Aaron? And I said, oh, he, he's a trainer, and I've seen a million of them. She said, just, just ring him. So I, I gave him a call, and, yeah, he, he's basically changed the way I thought. This is the eye-opening moment when I went and seen him, and he said...
1: So you're saying inspiration for you showed up on your, on your
0: passenger seat of your car? It was sitting there for two weeks. It's funny <laughs> where it shows up, eh? Hey? Yeah. Sometimes we, we, we can never underestimate that. 100%. It's just out of nowhere. And, and that, and that, the person I've seen for that number was, uh, a little Uzbekistani guy who was a sort of a massage guy who I just went and seen through, uh, one of my wife's friends. And he said, go see this trainer. I'm like, trainer? I've seen like <laughs> a thousand. Anyway, goes, no, no, no. He's the best. So I took that number and I put it on the car. Um, seat and I just sat there until my wife said just call him so I did and uh, I'm sitting in getting a consultation and he started asking me questions about my lifestyle food sleep all different stresses environmental toxins and I'm like yeah 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 just answering like what's going on now and then he assesses me physically as well he said look uh, if you're willing to make some sacrifices uh, with the way that you train with some more functional type movement to get your foundation stronger and lifestyle modifications, the body can repair itself if you allow it to. If you make make those sacrifices and do them consistently, so I was like, okay, I was invested in that straight away.
1: Straight away, you didn't no questioning or straight away. I, I, I was. What was what was the feel around that? Why? Because you've had people saying this to you before, I'm sure. So what? What about what Aaron shared with you got you?
0: It was just simple. Like he was talking about food and the power it has on healing and the quality of your produce. And then, I, then it hit a chord because I started to think, hang on a minute, this is the way I ate when I was a kid. You know, this is, what, <laughs> this is what we did when I was growing up. And I'm like, I didn't have any injuries when I was growing up. I didn't have any injuries when I first made first grade. But actually I moved out of home then and it took five years for the deterioration. And he was explaining, that's what happens. You had a real strong foundation. You've lost that foundation, but you can get that foundation back. So, just the way he spoke and his demeanour and his knowledge around it all was pretty phenomenal.
1: So, what he was telling you to move back home?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it was was a bit far for me at the time because I didn't want to make the drive. The M five wasn't what it was now. (laughs) Um, So, he he just started talking to me about preparing food. Um, So, I, I was I started on this path where. You know, I'll go to him once a week. We would film a functional movement-type training session, which in 2008, functional movement training in rugby league uh, wasn't conventional, that's for sure. It was all heavy weightlifting, yeah. and pushing as much as you can out. So I would, he would film me and I would take that into the Roosters gym with my phone sitting there in the gym and I'd watch it, watch myself do that session and do it in the gym. And all the, the, the club was like well, I Minnie's mean, doing all this weird stuff over in the corner. Let's just leave him alone because he's been injured for the last three years. You know we Let still say
1: that about you, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You know how you sit in the corner at programs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, we all, that's all we're whispering <laughs> he's his, over there He's doing his <laughs> weird stuff again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so I started doing all these functional movement trainings, cable, one-legged, dumbbells, you know, and it wasn't heavy. It was just trying to build up more of a core foundation, more functional type movement that lead, led me into getting back on the field. I thought I was on the right path. 2009 rolls around. This is my fourth year now, and round two down in Canberra, and I do all my ligaments in my ankle, syndesmosis. So the three major ligaments that hold the two bones together, and the rotation force was so big that I had a spiral fracture under my knee in the smaller bone, the fibula, out oh, for 22 weeks. Ouch! Coming off contract, out for 22 weeks, fourth year in a row.
1: So no one ever remembers this about your career because because mm. you know we always we talk about the 300 games you've played, but this makes this a story even more astonishing when you share what you're sharing now
0: yeah so I I go through yeah this this was a this was a learning curve for me now now I look back it's like that was a wonderful time in my life because I met my wife she pushed me to find answers I went and found answers and now this is how I live and this is why I've got my four steps with nutrition which I'll share soon Um, and I evolved through that time into more of a leader as well so um, it was a wouldn't say at the time a wonderful time, but it was a character-building time for me and more of a leadership-building time for me. So coming off contract and the Roosters, we had a great relationship, both the club and myself. They offered me a one-year incentive deal, match payments, and I went, yep, I'll take that. And this is when I started to dive into the research around food and what Aaron was sharing with me about the power it does have in decreasing pain, inflammation, and the body naturally wants to heal if you allow it to, if you give it the right foods. Um, so I dived into it 100%. I got rid of my whole medicine cabinet, which was ridiculous at the time. Did you need a forklift? Yeah. <laughs> my wife used to open the cupboard when she first came in and went, what the hell? You're not a chemist. You're supposed to be a professional athlete, you know. Um, so she had a laugh and got into me about that. So I just I raked everything out, got rid of everything. Um, got rid of all the poor food, all the prescription medication, uh, decreased my consumption of alcohol dramatically, and I felt shit for two weeks. felt awful, you know, just like like crap was coming out of my body. S- sleeping poorly and um, just, just like a withdrawal sort of period. Uh, but what I first noticed after that two-week period was I started to get better sleep. I was sleeping, um, you know, more REM, more deep sleep. So when that happens you're waking up with a much clearer head you've got more mental focus clarity so you make started make better decisions and when that happens you're more emotionally stable more mentally stable and then the phys- physicality of it all the physical um, state comes back you start to repair a bit quicker because you can train that touch harder so that's that's what i experienced straight away and when I started feeling it in my body I was like Man, wow know, yeah. and then i connecting the dots and like you know this is what we did as a kid never got injured never got sick a lot and now I'm re really going back to that old traditional ways of um, cooking and food using food as medicine and I felt it, I started feeling it straight away and 2010 I go on and play like the next five years without an injury and now with my talk I have four simple steps that I share with uh, people when I when I when I talk about this, is the you know the source of your food, the process of your food, decreasing our consumption of grains and processed carbohydrates and crap food, and then number four is intermittent fast. And you know if I go back to step one, the source of your food, why that is so important, it, it's pretty shocking to see when you dive into what's happening with our food system: animal products, plant f- products. For example, you know my uncle used to own a chicken farm back in the day, and they're actually not. F- farms when they when they grow too big they're actually factories you know they're not even allowed outside collecting natural sunlight or foraging for their food they're just in squashed in these big sheds temperature temperature controlled light uh, artificial light driven uh, hormones antibiotics fed big corporations putting pressure on the farmer to make sure they're grown at a certain rate and time Um, all this type of stuff you know grain fed but beef, where they're not naturally meant to eat grain, throws out their omega-6, omega-3 fatty acid ratios, it just makes the cow heavier and fatter and sicker, and we're consuming these products.
1: So it's absurd for us to think that if we're consuming sick bees that we're not going to extract oh, health from it. It's probably totally. impossible,
0: isn't it? It's impossible, that's right. You know, If they're feeding cows grain, corn, soy, which are pro-inflammatory which inflame the animal themselves and we're eating that product. We're just inflaming our bodies, creating more inflammation, building, building into chronic inflammation and we all know now that chronic inflammation turns into chronic disease as we age. Um, so you know, you think you could be eating a steak and salad or a fish and salad. Even A lot of fish is farmed with, again, corn, soy and um, wow. all these products in these pellets that they feed them. So you could be eating a fish and salad and think you're eating a good piece of protein which is not going to elevate blood sugar but that fish has been fed corn soy grains which again you're elevating blood sugar with a piece of fish which so you don't think you are
1: So 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 many of us go out there with a the good intention to you know yeah. get good fish and salad but really if we don't know the source of that food Correct you know where we could be walking into a poo sandwich.
0: 100%. And that, that's why step my step one, that's why it's step one. Get to know the source of your food. How do we do that? So that's pretty simple. You um, Obviously, there's Google. Uh, these days you can really research butchers, farmers, uh, and what products they feed their animals, if it's um, a free-range or pasture-raised approved or organic-approved farm and feed. Or, you know, get to know a good butcher or a local butcher or a good butcher that will... You know, they share these stories. They love like, A good butcher loves to share where he's getting his beef from, where he's getting his chicken from, what they've been eating and, you know, how many chickens per hectare is in these farms, you know.
1: Can I ask you a question about this? Because I'm, I'm a little uncertain about this and I'm a mm. bit of a geek. You've turned me into a geek around this. <laughs> is that, like, the large food chains, you go in there and they've – when I look at organic, for example, and that mm. word probably hasn't been treated that well and yeah. some people can be a little fearful of it yep. – can we get good product from from there, or or um, am I wasting my time going into there?
0: I try not to shop at big food chains. I have delivery service or local farmers markets is something that I shop um, a lot at. Um, so you know, hitting up Google and finding out where your local farmers markets are because they are they're, they're everywhere now. Where local farmers, localised farmers come in. Um, and that's what you want. You know, even with your fruit and veg, you know, it's that's a whole another rabbit warren as well. Because again, mass-produced production of our plant foods is happening now because we want everything fast and quick. Yeah, you know, regenerative farming and sustainable farming is small crops and rotating those crops around. So you have you know four crops. You rotate from one to two to three to four, and by the time you get back to crop one. That soil is regenerated and vibrant and that's what gives our nutrients to the plant, plant to the fruit or veg. That's not happening anymore with these mono, big monocrops and when you have these big monocrops that are just farm farming one sort of source or massive amounts of um, certain plant foods, then that invites the insects and bugs that come in. Now they have to be heavily herbicided, pesticide insecticided. and we know all those Inse- insecticides and herbicides and Roundup—they all leach into our food. So again, we're getting more toxins in our body than ever before. So again, if we can get things seasonal first and foremost, and if you can get it local, that's you know that's 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 my step with um, the source of food is trying to get it, know your butcher, get a pastured source of uh, animal products, wild or sustainably caught fish and seafood. And then seasonal, local fruit and veg.
1: So if I was a a vegan or a vegetarian, that's pretty much the same message as well, is to make sure that the food, that I know where the food's coming from, because my interpretation, of what you're saying there, is if the soil's depleted, well, the the plant's not going to get the nutrients it needs to share with you. Is
0: that kind of right? 100%. So again, we're we're all dependent on the the richness of the soil and how healthy the soil is. Now, if we're farming huge monocrops, there's no time to turn that soil around for that to regenerate. Diana Rogers, that we that we interview, she's in America. Apparently, they've only got 60 years of farming left before the soil is depleted. Yeah, because I, they're I, not regenerating their farms properly.
1: Yeah, I know she works with Dr. Mark Hyman. Is that right? Dr. Mark
0: Hyman, and yeah. she's written a book with um, Rob Wolf, okay. a legend over there.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting. I I, I listen to what they say, and they said they're turning soil into dirt. Yeah, and and that really means that basically soil is the the highest concentration of life in the universe, I reckon. 100%. And to no life in it, which Mm. is dirt.
0: Mm. The microbes and beneficial bacteria in good soil, phenomenal. But we're killing it.
1: (laughs) Wow, that's... That's freakish. You want to mm. you want to dive into your second principle yeah, a bit yeah, for yeah. us.
0: Yeah, probably speak, spoke a bit long on that one. So the second principle, <laughs> it's um, not like you're oh, no, geek no, out. No. Love it. I was so passionate about it, but you um, <laughs> can't tell. <laughs> so the second one is the process of it. So you know you've got your step one. You've got your good produce now. Step two is how do you actually cook it and what oils you're actually cooking with. Okay. So there's two parts to step two. So the first one is cooking with the right oils, getting rid of all the vegetable oil and industrial seed oils that are highly oxidised already in the bottle, and then we're heating, heating them, which are they're very unstable under heat. So when, what happens is when we heat or cook with these vegetable oils, uh, they create free radicals. Free radicals in our body create plaque buildup in blood vessels, arteries – and again, we're slowly poisoning ourselves into cardiovascular disease and risks later on in life. Not, not straight away, but later on in life, it's a slow poisoning effect. And, you know, in the late 60s and 70s, the vegetable oil um, industry was lauded as a healthy oil. Yeah, high, right, for sure. High in omega-6s. Um, you know, it's from vegetables. But what people don't know is it's like a 16, 17-step process to actually sh- extract oil out of vegetables. They're not, that, they're not oily, really. Yeah. So they use heat and solvents, and it's already a pro- huge process to do that. And then they're really high in omega-6s, and it's now proven that high omega-6s in our body build inflammation. So we need a more of a balance of omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid ratio. Yeah. Um, so if we're eating poor quality animal products, which you know, grain-fed beef is really high in omega-6s, remember? Grain, uh, farmed fish, really high in omega-6s. We get wild fish, more of a balance of omega-3 to omega-6s, same as grass-fed and finished beef and lamb, same thing, more of a balance. We need more of a balance of omega-3 to omega-6s and omega-9s as well. So getting rid of the vegetables first and foremost is one of my number one tips and start to cook with more natural fats, more like uh, extra virgin olive oil on a warm heat, not too hot because that can oxidise under high heat. Uh, you've got, uh, ghee, you've got grass-fed butter or pastured butter, uh, you've got avocado oil. Should I just
1: get my grandma here to talk about this?
0: Yeah, look, if you, if you think back and watch your grandma cooking, she would have had duck fat, pork lard in the fridge, in yeah. the fridge just sitting there. And so that, what are you saying that's knew, unhealthy. She knew that that was the right oil to cook with because those oils can withstand high heats. They got, there's nutrition there because if it comes from a pastured source, remember, step one, there's nutrition there and they can withstand high heat. So they're the right oils to cook with. They taste good too. And they taste good, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: it's really strange, isn't yeah. it, that, that, that how – I'm not going to say we've been manipulated, but how that, that misinformation has mm. – because as you can probably tell by my hair colour and my vintage, that that was exactly right. You know, you didn't have butter, you had margarine, and you mm. didn't – you would never, ever cook with fat. Yep. You, you would – you'd cook with, you know, no. you polyunsaturated yeah. oils.
0: You know, there was one thought that, you know, fats clog arteries, and that's, that's totally disproven too. It's the quality of your fats is most important. So yeah. from, from step one, it's, you know, if you're going to consume fats, which we all need fat to survive for our immune system and gut microbiome and uh, the health of our cell membranes, you know, our, our brains are 70% fat. We need fats, we need protein, we need carbohydrates, we need three macronutrients. Jeez, you're
1: challenging me. So yeah. you're saying fats are, but fat makes us fat.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a misconception as well. Oh, um, Overconsumption of carbohydrates, which I'll talk about in my step three, will make you store fat. And if you're eating good quality fats, it, it'll make your body burn fat, so yep. you'll get leaner. Um, so we'll move on to the second part of the process. So you've got the right cooking oils, you're cooking yep. with the right oils, and the next part is you're roasting a chicken, say, you're cooking a roast chicken, most people put it on 200 degrees and actually burn all the enzymes and nutrition out of the bird. So we're not getting the maximum benefit from that. So we need enzymes to digest our foods in our stomach. Um, if we cook it a lot slower, turn that dial down to 130, 120 in the oven, cook it for four or five hours, mm. the enzymes are intact, nutrition still intact, and we're getting the maximum nutrition out of that uh, animal that we're eating. Uh, or get a slow cooker, I've always encourages people to get a slow cooker. You, you throw it in, you hit low, you press go and you walk away. Ten hours later, it's falling off the bone. Mm. It's pretty simple. Then you make a salad, steam some veggies, make it easy, make it sustainable, it becomes a habit, it becomes a lifestyle. So that's the next part of um, the process is to turn your dial down if you're, if you're roasting. If you're frying, cooking with the right oils and leaving it pink in the middle, beef and lamb, so you've got nutrition there still intact. And step three is to decrease our consumption of those Highly processed foods, grains, processed carbohydrates, and yeah, decrease your consumption of of, br- of bread if you can. Yeah, like look, you know, I, I don't limit it one hundred percent because you can. There's always an enjoyment. Who doesn't like a toasty or mm-hmm. piece of bread with butter on it or something like that? But you know, if you can work towards having a strong foundation at home, and then when you're out, you enjoy life. You know, everyone has a different uh, balance. Uh, but my balance is probably about ninety ten. If you get up to eighty twenty you're doing really well.
1: okay that that makes a lot of sense so what's yeah. your, what's your last one?
0: Last one is the intermittent fast. Um, oh just, just prior to going to that, it's just if you decrease your consumption of processed foods, you rebalance blood sugar. So if you're eating six, seven times a day, which the conventional model is yeah. is to do that. And if you look at the food pyramid, it's high in grains. You've got to have whole grains as your number one source. You know, you're elevating blood sugar uh, really high after you eat these types of foods. So we can rebalance that. Um, that means decreasing our consumption of those processed foods and eating step one and step, from step one and step two. A lot of good plant foods, good palm sized piece of protein, some bone broth in there, all that type of stuff you'll you'll have a more stable blood sugar, more stable energy throughout the day so you're not dependent on uh, coffee or you're not dependent on an afternoon nap and all that type of stuff Um, So which is which we find straight away people decreasing their uh, high blood sugar and rebalancing that which we've found uh, to be the first port of call that's what happens straight away Uh, So and then step Step four is the intermittent fast, and that ties everything in because we've been conditioned by a lot of big corporations that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and we've got to eat six, seven times a day, and it's just not the case. You know. We, we, as, I, as I just talked about blood sugar, um, if you're eating six, seven times a day, your blood sugar's going up and down, up and down, dips and peaks, and you want more stable um, energy. And the body has two energy systems. One's sugars that's carbohydrates are so digested as sugar and the other one's fats but how do we get into fat burning mode if we're eating seven times a day and, and naturally we're sleeping a lot less than we were 100, 100 years ago we can't we don't we don't the way we can do that is follow the first two steps or follow the first three steps and then intermittent fast with the fourth step where you're giving your body a chance to burn up all the sugars and the body switches, it doesn't go into starvation mode, it switches to burning fats as a primary fuel source. And that's like a premium fuel source. Once you get into fat burning mode, sometimes the switch will be hard because you've been a sugar burner most of your life. Once you do it regularly, the switch is really easy and you become so clear and focused and you get you just got all this natural energy that just comes out because the body is naturally in repair mode. So, you know, when we're in a fasted state, that's when the body goes to repair, regeneration and healing. And when we're in an eating state, when we eat, the body a lot of the body's energy turns to digestion, you know, blood sugar regulation, insulin production, getting the sugar out of your blood, pushing that out. That's a lot of, lot of stuff going on. So we can give ourselves a break at least 12 hours a day, which is quite easy. 12 hours a day, you give your digestion a rest. And then if you start to extend that window that's when optimization of hormones come through, the body switches to burning fats, uh, you're in ketosis, and if you want to extend past the 16-hour mark, then the body will induce a thing called autophagy, and that is cellular cleansing, healing, uh, all the old and damaged protein, uh, fats uh, in the body that at a cellular level could potentially turn bad. The body will go and eat that first as an energy source. The body's pretty smart. It'll go and eat the bad stuff first. That won a stuff.
1: Nobel Prize, isn't it? In, it did, yeah. In 2016? Yeah,
0: about, yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh, well, so fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. You know, I've experienced um, a couple of things with fasting and it's just, yeah, changed my life.
1: Share that one story about what happened in your spine there. I think that's yeah. pretty powerful. Yeah, that
0: one, yeah. So I'm, I retired five and a half years ago now, but about three years ago, when I motorbike ride come back, my back was really sore. And normally I can get it back within three to four days, but it just wasn't coming back. And I couldn't extend it all. And so I went in and got an MRI. And the doc's looking at it and he said, look, you've got a piece of disc that has broken off, one centimetre in diameter, and it was giving me a tr- bit of trouble. And he said, you need to get an operation, you need to get that taken out. And this is when I started getting the research around fasting and I started practising it daily. I, I said to the doc, I said, I'm going to try and give myself a year, let my body break it down naturally. And he sort of laughed, and I'm sure I'll see you in two weeks booking that operation. So I fasted daily. You know, I I missed break. I ate twice a day. I ate once a day. I ate three times a day. I ate nothing for the day. I just gave my body variety, so it didn't plateau. Didn't do the same thing every day. And then I am I ride my back ten months later, and that piece had completely gone. My body had metabolized it and ate it up as an energy source because it was dead tissue in the body. Now I, I show. I showed that doctor that, and he's going through the MRI, and he's shifting through it, and he's like, "I can't believe it, it's gone, it's gone," you know, and and that just proved to me not just the stuff I read, you know, I practice it, but I tested it and it works.
1: You are a living, breathing human crash test dummy. You're testing yourself all <laughs> yeah, the time, I like, aren't it. I you. I like your it. your bloods and different, bloods, yeah. And again, I guess your your own personal health and what you've, you know you can't dismiss it, the spinal injury that you had. And I, I think one of your most powerful messages in the presentations you give, I mean, it isn't necessarily in what you show, say but what you show people when you put that, those two MRIs up of your spine. It mm. is pretty – That is mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, I always finish with this image. Um, you know, I show a couple of achievements that I achieved coming back well into my 30s but I always finish with this one because it was the most powerful and, and the most rewarding was my MRI of my two spines? One in two when thousand and seven. I'm you know, supposed to be in the prime of my professional uh, career, and I was twenty-seven. And then one when I was thirty-four. I'm retired, and yet well into your thirties, class as old in professional sport. And the the difference is pretty phenomenal. When I'm thirty-four, the all my discs again, barring the ones I got operated on, are all white again all the tissues around it were healthy strong vibrant all the cushioning system for your spine perfect again and i and i'm just thinking back i remember that specialist sitting in his office and he's like mate you can't rehydrate a spine and it just doesn't happen you got to manage this and that was just ringing home that what you put in your mouth really matters not just for short term energy and feeling great but long term health and decreasing chronic disease, really. That's what it is. Um, so it just proved to me that this is pretty important that, uh, you know, you gave me the vehicle to, to start sharing these stories. So it's wonderful.
1: And I guess, you know, the, the thing that we all focus on with your, say, football career or athletic career I many years is, is that you you went on, you played over 300 games, you won a grand final as a, as a captain. And what was the and. I think I know the answer to this, but mm. the decision behind you retiring wasn't because your body was old and broken. Your decision mm. behind you retiring was ready for the next phase of your life.
0: Yeah. So even my wife was saying, even Terry was saying, go play another year, play another year. Azura's just born. You know, you can she can see you play footy even though she was one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm mentally done you know I'm ready to move on you know I could have pushed the body physically and went on and played in 2015 but I just knew in my head that it was time mentally it was time once you start not losing the passion I love the game but the, the mental application that you have to put in to prepare um, as a 34 year old and and just as a professional athlete these days you just don't prepare the body physically you need to prepare mentally and visualize and you know meditation was was big towards end of my career you got to spend more time on yourself and i just had a brand new daughter i wanted to spend time with the family and i I just i I knew it straight away from pre-season in 2014 azura was just born in december i got back in the pre-season in january and i'm like i think this is it i've got the feeling which i thought i'd never have I had the feeling straight away and you know, I sat on it for a long time. I spoke to my wife and family about it, and uh, with six weeks ago on the comp I announced it.
1: Yeah, man, and like, I think that, that clarity in, in your own mm. behaviour has certainly spilled over into the people that we present to because we've seen so many changes. Mm. Those simple four processes that you have for eating, if you just remind them for us really
0: quickly again. Yep. Step one is the source of your food, step two is the process of that food. Step three is decrease all the crap and processed carbohydrates. Step four is to intermittent fast.
1: And th- those four steps we've seen, like mm. we're, we're not making it up. We don't no. think they change people's lives. We, we know now that they do because we've seen it happen so many times. And I think what we'd like to do is I want to take the opportunity again, Mini, as we get down our pathway and our journey together in this podcast series, I think we might touch on MiniFit. Yep. Um, and share with people what movement and exercise can do for them as well because your level of expertise and understanding in that area is as equally phenomenal as your understanding of what we eat and how we should eat.
0: Yeah, so you know, moving, you know, we're, firstly we're born as human beings to move you know, and you now sedentary lifestyles are starting to set in in this modern age and we find ourselves sitting more often than not. If you're working in an office and you're not conscious about your sitting time, Take a day where you time yourself and how much time you are sitting. You know, if you're commuting, you, you, you wake up, let's say you wake up, you sit down for breakfast, you jump in the car, you're commuting, some people up to an hour, hour and a half, you're sitting there, you get to your desk, you're sitting, you go for lunch, you sit back down, you come back, you finish work, you're sitting, you go back and commute Making home. Making me feel guilty. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like by the end of the day, you total up how many hours you've been sitting and it's almost the whole day. Yeah. Um, so getting up and moving every half hour is key to longevity first and foremost uh, and then you know exercising there are obviously two different things movement and exercise movement is just getting up and moving and activating your lymphatic system and get your blood flow happening and then exercise you're pushing your own body to a threshold and you're trying to improve your own uh, strength and stability and that's very important as we age to keeping good muscle mass on our on our Bodies. Um, well, don't
1: use up all your info there, because yeah. I'm coming for you with another full podcast around that to give people the yeah, the good. full insight. But uh, there, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is a little bit of a a taste of what Anthony and I want to provide for you as yeah. as our listeners, and and understanding of how you can change your lifestyle to improve the way that you exist on the planet, but also the people around you that you love. And I'll tell you what I'm going to invite you to do, Minnie. Yes. Okay, brace yourself. As soon as I've got the opportunity to interview you, I'm going to let you try and come at yeah, and can I return in next, serve. Yeah, yeah. In our next episode, I'll let you return serve. But, right. But uh, I'm not going to be as uh, enlightening or as exposing as you are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can't wait for that one, Matty. Thanks for listening to The Change Room Podcast, a whiff of wellbeing with Minnie and Matt. For more information about The Change Room, please head to thechangeroom.info.